So you've got performance, you've got quality, and now you've got value. And those things add up to uh, a strong message to consumers, and the consumers then uh, responded. As long as you keep the focus on the customers and the people, then you'll do okay. If you're trying to just make money, you're not going to do it. You've got to put the customer first. Hey everyone, it's Tyler. And this is Kelsey. In today's episode, we're going to take you to the finer side of things. So think champagne, caviar, first class seating, and basically anything you can imagine on like Air Drake. We started from the bottom and now we're here. That's exactly it. All right, I'm in. Okay, today we're talking about Lexus, the luxury brand. And to all you listeners out there who may not know, our luxury brand Lexus was born in 1989. The year that all great things were born. Yes, we know you were born in 1989, Kelsey. Yes. But unlike you, Lexus has accomplished a lot of things in the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done. So yeah, Lexus is celebrating their 30th anniversary this year. And while some may say that 30 years isn't that long, which feels really long to me now that I've lived 30 whole years. They really have accomplished a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. All jokes aside. I want to say, even as an employee, I wasn't aware of the monumental impact that Lexus had on the luxury industry back then and the intense amount of research and secrecy that went into starting the brand. Right? A little spoiler up front. We actually sent engineers to Southern California to live and study how luxury intenders lived. That's what we call them, luxury intenders. Yes. They fully immerse themselves in the culture to understand what customers would want and need in a luxury vehicle. That's right. So their dedication was unmatched. And that customer-first mindset and finesse didn't go away in the 80s. It's still around at Lexus today. We want to take you back to the beginning to tell the story of Lexus straight from the leaders who were around back before Lexus even had a name. And the perfect person for that is Dave Illingworth. Dave was the first general manager of Lexus back in 89, and today he is still a brand loyal dealer. Allison Powell caught up with Dave to talk about the early beginnings of Lexus, starting with how he came up with the Lexus Covenant, which is the brand's commitment statement that is still used today to guide every decision Lexus makes. Toyota of Warsaw. May I help you? Hi, may we be connected with Dave Illingworth, please? Just a moment. Dave Illingworth. Hi, Dave. It's Allison Powell from Toyota Motor North America Podcasting. Allison, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for uh, making yourself available for us to do this interview. We're very interested in talking to you about oh, a whole range of things. Okay, far away. Okay, we're very interested in talking about what inspired the creation of the Lexus Covenant. Can you talk a little bit about why you came up with that, the story behind it, and how it operates today? I think it was early 1989, and we were getting ready to launch the uh, division in about six to nine months. You know, we just got to thinking about who we are and what we are and what we're all about. What was always impressed me so much about Toyota was the engineers and the commitment of senior management in Japan and senior management in the U.S. to do things right and to really make an all-out effort to have the finest car that was ever built at the time. And uh, I think there's a lot of uh, sense of urgency on our part to really define who we are and what we are and what we're trying to accomplish. I, it was just one morning I walked out and Linda Morisako at the time was my assistant. It's been, you know, she was with me for quite a while, and I just went out and dictated it. I mean, it wasn't 
there wasn't much to it. I don't know. I just sat down and I said, okay, Linda. And I just started saying it, talking about it. We fine-tuned a little bit. I gave it to the advertising agency and the marketing people, and they looked at it, kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, okay, that's all right. You want to do it. But the reason it came to life and the reason it meant so much to the company was because of the recall that happened on the cruise control a couple months after we launched the company. And that's when we looked at the covenant and said who we are and what do we, how do we really conduct ourselves in business. And in talking to the dealers and to all of the people in the company, we recited the covenant to them so they understood why we were taking this action because I think at the time we only had one or two cars that had this problem. So we decided if we are who we say we are and we are what the covenant says we are, then we do the right thing. And so the covenant came to life and it just has lived ever since. The uh, customer service efforts on that recall, at least in my understanding, were extraordinary and they must have been extraordinary for the time. Did you hear a lot from uh, American car makers sort of scratching their head over why you would work so hard over something that affected a very few cars? We went to extraordinary efforts to take care of the customers, to tell everybody what was happening, to communicate what was happening, to do it in an organized way. It turned out that it really helped us establish ourselves as putting the customer first. So that effort combined with the covenant really kind of set the tone for who we were. And even from the very beginning, we were always talking about separating ourselves from the rest of the competition by putting the customer first and how we could do that. And when you looked at what the engineers were doing and what the company was doing back in Japan and the effort that was being made to make this car truly exceptional, we felt in the United States, since we were gonna launch the car, we had to make a superhuman effort uh, to pick the right dealers and to get customer first uh, aspect to delivering and servicing a car above everybody else to basically match the effort that was being made in Japan to produce the car of such high quality. Can you tell us in your own words why Toyota embarked on the project of creating a luxury brand? The chairman at the time, Easy Toyota and Dr. Toyota, the president of the company. Toyota had been a business that was approaching 50 years. And I think my understanding is that they believed that the company was producing the finest automobiles in the world. And I think that's probably true. I think Toyota's are the finest quality, highest quality cars produced. And they felt it was time to actually extend that into the finest luxury car. And uh, they had a car in Japan called the Crown, which was an upscale car, but it wasn't a car that would be accepted globally or recognized by other manufacturers around the world as a truly first-class luxury automobile. And so it was their decision back in the mid-'80s that the company should build this car, and it should be the finest luxury car built up to that time. We're going to break in here to give you a little fun fact. In order to build what they hoped would be the finest luxury car at the time, Toyota decided it needed to learn more about the American luxury buyer. So in 1985, they sent a team of Japanese designers and engineers to an upscale Southern California community to do some recon. 
Yeah. Imagine a small group of Toyota employees. They quietly move into this small beach city called Laguna Beach. Let's go back. <laughs> back to the beginning. That Laguna Beach, Kelsey. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And so they did the research on American luxury culture. <laughs> what did I just say? No. <laughs> like where these fancy people went, what they bought, their attitudes towards different brands. Yeah. And then they designed the Lexus with all these considerations in mind. Like, how does a lady with long nails such as myself use a steering wheel? How would a lady slide into the seat with her fur coat on? How many sets of golf clubs will fit in the trunk? And 14 full-scale models and about 450 test cars later, the LS400 was born. All right, back to Allison. Why do you think luxury is important or necessary? We can get along quite well without it. We've got excellent cars, excellent products that are not considered in the luxury level. What role do you think luxury plays in, in uh, our lives? Well, I think it's an aspirational product. I think everybody wants to succeed and everybody wants to be successful. And I think the key to the Lexus product was that we tried to uh, split, split the market. At the time, Cadillac and Lincoln were the major players in the market, but their, their styling was rather traditional and their ride was rather soft. And uh, the Germans were also at a higher end of the market, but they were, their styling was more European and their ride was more sports car and hard, hard, hard handling type of vehicles. And I think uh, the Lexus product split the middle. We tried to be in between and give the customers an aspirational vehicle that were driving Toyotas that they could move to a higher class car, but didn't have to pay the price of the German products or the European products. And at the same time could have a more younger, youthful looking car that wasn't as traditional as the domestic manufacturer. And eventually I think what happened is the markets kind of merged. But when you say it's a luxury car, there are cars in the lineup that are very expensive, but I think there are also cars in the lineup that are more reasonably placed for people that they can try to achieve. And so I think if you look at the top end of the Toyota market and the lower end of the Lexus market today, you'll see there's a lot of crossover in there. How does it feel to realize it's been 30 years since since all that happened? Well, I feel a lot older. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 knew, I noticed I don't move as quickly. <laughs> I fall asleep quicker at night. But it's remarkable to see the progress of the cars, of the dealer body, how much the market has changed. And yet, it still comes down to people, people caring about other people, about uh, the dealers and the factory people and the engineers all caring about the customer that they're trying to serve and putting the customer first. That doesn't change, no matter what happens that doesn't change. And as long as you keep the focus on the customers and the people, then you'll do okay. If you're trying to just make money, you're not going to do it. you got to put the customer first. And uh, so no matter what happens, that's the key. 
I don't know about you, Tyler, but I agree with Dave. As I turn 30, along with Lexus, I don't move as quick either. (laughs) I totally agree. And I'm older than you and Lexus. (laughs) Just by a smidge. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I think it says a lot about a company that the promises they made 30 years ago, despite what's happening in the world, they're still upheld today. No matter how the business changes, Lexus is still committed to a world-class guest experience and they're always putting the customer first. It's incredible what Lexus has been able to do in just 30 years, considering that most luxury brands have been around for over 100. We've put in work. And we're not even close to being done. So now we're going to go from the OG general manager, Dave Illingworth, to the current general manager, David Christ. I was able to catch up with him here in the office a couple of weeks ago to talk about his take on the 30 years of Lexus and what's next. Thank you for coming to Toyota Untold. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So Lexus, we're going to talk about it because 2019 is the 30th anniversary of Lexus. And there's been a lot of other manufacturers that have been here in the U.S. a lot longer, haven't been able to get the foothold that Lexus has. So how did it only take Lexus 30 years to get where it's gotten? You know, we really had what I consider to be two cornerstones in the launch of the brand. One was an absolute focus on picking the best dealers in the industry Mm -hmm. and really committing to them that we were going to bring them the best product. So between our dealer selection and our product plan, uh, those two pieces really set Lexus uh, up for success. And and since then, we've done a lot of great things together. Can you talk about some of the, the product, you know, over the past 30 years that customers have come to love in addition to the dealers? We spent 10 years developing that first LS, and it's really a spectacular product and continues to be uh, in, in the used car market. From there, we developed the first uh, luxury crossover in the RX300. We developed the first luxury hybrid vehicle in the RX400H. We developed a product that continues to do well uh, in the used car market, which is the ISF, which was our first real step into performance. And then we recently introduced another high-performance vehicle in the LC500. So over those 30 years, we've continued to come out with some great product that has been very well received by our guests. Whenever I see an LC in the garage here around here, it's like head turner nonstop. I'm just like, ooh, look at that LC. Agreed. Looks good. Agreed. (laughs) So on those 30 years, what were some of the milestones that stands out to Lexus as a company? Well, I think if you go back in time, one of the milestones of the brand was very shortly after launch, we had a a recall situation. Mm -hmm. And the way that we approached that recall was very different than other brands had addressed it. We really took a huge focus on the guest. And we tried to establish with our dealers a benchmark in the guest treatment. And from there, our brand has continued to focus on the guest. Now, many car manufacturers call purchasers of their vehicles customers. Mm -hmm. We call them guests because in our Lexus Covenant, we refer to customers as guests in our home. Mm -hmm. And we really wanted to create an environment where our dealers would treat the customers like guests in their home. Mm -hmm. And that to me was one of those watershed moments that established the brand, established the fact that we were focused on the guest and really set us on the right path. Just a funny personal story for, for me. My dad's parents, when they were alive, they, um, they wanted a new car. They 
couldn't get out a lot. They, you know, or they didn't want to get out a lot. They could still drive just fine. So they called Lexus dealership and they were like, listen, we want to look at this car. Could you bring us one? <laughs> and they did. The dealership brought out um, a vehicle for them to test drive around their neighborhood and they bought it right there. No problem. Not even in a dealership setting. So That's right. The dealers have done such an amazing job with the guest experience. I get emails and letters all the time from customers. In fact, just recently, we ran a campaign called Letters. Mm -hmm. And in that campaign, which was on TV a few months back, we actually captured letters from actual consumers and had them read the letter in their own voice. And those letters talked about the exceptional service that these guests have gotten from dealers. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the big differentiators in our brand. Yeah. Experience Amazing is the tagline for Lexus. What does that mean? Well, it's really two fronts. Uh, one is we want the guests to experience the amazingness of our product. Mm -hmm. So we want to deliver a product that has a wow factor and that a customer can get in and really feel excited about. The second experience amazing piece is really the dealer guest treatment. We want them to experience the amazing service that our dealer members provide and the sincere commitment they have to making their experience pleasurable. In fact, when I wear Lexus logo shirts, which I'm very proud to wear, yes. I have to leave more time when I go to the airport because people will typically stop me and say, I love my Lexus, I love my dealer. Yeah. What does innovation and technology look like moving forward? Well, that's a great question. You know, we continue to be the leader in hybrid technology. Uh, our hybrid sales were up 42% last mm -hmm. year. So we continue to focus in on hybrid sales success. Our dealers have totally bought in. Our hybrid sales this year continue at a really strong pace. And uh, we're also pursuing electric vehicles. And we really feel like we have the history with hybrids to create success in that environment too. You think about that, that was 14 years ago that we yeah. introduced the first luxury hybrid vehicle. And mm -hmm. since then we've sold uh, many. Mm -hmm. And we continue to expand the lineup. Most recently in January, we launched the UX hybrid, which is another exciting product. And we'll continue to do so in hybrid and electrical vehicles. Mm -hmm. So where does Lexus go from here? What does the next 30 years look like? Lexus? Well, we are super excited about the future of Lexus. I, I think uh, there's really those two cornerstones we talked about at the beginning of the brand, mm -hmm. which are still very relevant to the brand. We're working very hard right now on our product plan to deliver the best and most competitive products in each segment that yeah. we compete in. So that's hard at work and we will continue to deliver high quality product that's exciting to drive. The second area, of course, is our, our guest experience, and we're constantly working with our dealers on how to improve it, how to give the dealers more and better tools so mm -hmm. that they can help the guests, how to eliminate pain points in the, in the sales or service process that we, can, we have control over, that we can help. And I think between the evolution of the guest experience into a newer, faster, easier way mm -hmm. and the exciting products we have coming, it's going to be a home run. Can you say any of those products? I know you can. Unfortunately, I can't, <laughs> but thanks for trying. <laughs> so nice try, Tyler, getting the uh, top secret product out of Dave. <laughs> Listen, I have a Lexus. I feel like I need to know. Yeah, definitely no. just you. <laughs> what are you going to do? We can't reveal any Lexus product news right now, unfortunately, but we've got some interviews lined up that we will release when the time is right. 
Yeah, so stay tuned for further Lexus episodes. All right, to close out the show, we talked to someone who's been an observer of the auto industry for over 30 years and who was there when we first unveiled the LS400 in Detroit. That's right. Daron Levin is a journalist based out in Detroit. He's written for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Fortune, Forbes, and he's the author of two books about the auto industry. Take a listen. So today, we want to start off with learning a little bit about you, how long you've been a journalist, how long you've been covering the auto industry, and then we'll get into some more Lexus-focused questions. Okay. I was a correspondent for the Wall Street Journal in Pittsburgh in 1984 when I got a call from headquarters in New York asking me to come out to Detroit. And I'd never really been to Detroit except on business, but they told me that Detroit, because of its importance to the auto industry was a great beat and I should really think about it. So I decided to take that offer and I moved to Detroit with my family and I had a look around here and I said, uh, you know, we'll probably be out of here in about two years, (laughs) no longer, uh, because that's typical of the way the Wall Street Journal moves people around. And here we are 35 years later, I'm still in Detroit. So uh, (laughs) it's ended up being a good ride. I had a a great time with the Wall Street Journal covering General Motors. And that's actually where I had my first contact with Toyota. And and this this was an interesting time for the automobile industry because General Motors was really sitting on top of the world and was the number one manufacturer of cars in the world and certainly in the United States. And and Toyota was a company that was starting to become better known in the United States, but wasn't well known. It was basically a manufacturer of smaller, lighter, less expensive vehicles. And, but it was getting popular. And uh, General Motors was probably in the process at that point of trying to figure out whether Toyota was a company that should be taken seriously. And you, you heard all kinds of opinions back then from GM executives, some people who'd say, well, why would anybody want to buy a Toyota when you could buy a Buick or an Oldsmobile or a Pontiac? Mm-hmm. And then other people would say, you know, this is the wave of the future and we shouldn't take anything lightly and can't afford to take any potential competition lightly. And those people were fewer in number, but it turned out, obviously, they were right. Mm-hmm. So when do you think that you first heard about Lexus and when did you start covering it? I mean, I can tell you exactly when I started covering it. I started covering it in 1989 after the first press conference at the Detroit Auto Show. And that was when it first became known that Lexus existed. It was a secret project, as you know, before that. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were rumors that uh, Toyota was going to come out with a luxury car. And I'll never forget that press conference because... Uh, it, it was held in Cobo Hall in downtown Detroit, and it was at a, in a big exposition center down there. And because it was much anticipated, a lot of people showed up, not just journalists, but a lot of people from all the other companies showed up. And I remember seeing people from GM and Ford and Chrysler, and uh, they were just, I thought, very dismissive of Lexus at the time. That changed, obviously, very quickly. And what do you think the turning point was for Lexus from the kind of snickering other executives to like, oh, this is a brand that we need to be worried about or to consider? I mean, this is the way things kind of unfold in this business. If you're in the business, you understand this, but you you come out with a vehicle like the LS400 
And everybody can say whatever they want to say, but it, nothing's going to really matter until the reviewers get into the seats and drive them. Mm-hmm. And the reviews were very strong. So the initial reviews for this vehicle, once it was put in the hands of, of uh, journalists and others, especially the enthusiast magazines, was very strong and very positive. So I think that probably sent a signal to the competition that, hey, you better take this seriously. Now, if the public and the consuming public doesn't respond, then you've got a problem. But in this case, it did respond. Lexus had a very strong dealer network. Mm -hmm. And the consuming public really responded because the value story was very strong as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else do you think over the years that Lexus has done right in the auto space since you've covered pretty much, you know, every every <laughs> automaker, auto right? We should talk about the strategy, the dealer strategy, because I think that was a, a key element of the overall success of the of the brand, mm-hmm. which was to choose very strong dealers at the beginning and make sure that they understood that the idea would be to create experience for the consumers that was far more than what they could expect at a Cadillac dealership or or a Mercedes dealership at the time. Do you mean like the attitude of like when customers would come in? Yeah, the attitude. You found some dealers would provide loaner cars, others didn't. You find some dealers would invest in their waiting area in the service bay, near the service base with nice furniture and others were kind of shockingly plain for Mm -hmm. people who were spending a lot of money on on a piece of equipment. And and then you would find that um, there were little touches at Lexus dealerships, you know, filling up the tank of gas or washing the car, just going to a great length to make the whole experience a good one. And they were very good at that. And they suddenly became known not just for their cars, but also for the dealer experience. And that's very important to a lot of people. I think that the dealer experience is one that's gotten much better in the automobile business in the United States. But partly that's happened because of Lexus. As a journalist, did you wonder why those other companies didn't make those considerations before Lexus? Well, I mean, I can only give you one uh, anecdote. I, I think, first of all, the answer to that spe- question specifically is they didn't because they didn't have to. It was kind of an elite market and uh, everybody had their market share and they tended to be making money. And so there was no real reason to spend the money. But along comes Lexus. And they start really disrupting the market. And I can I can uh, relate one anecdote. I went to visit. Uh, Roger Penske late on a uh, Friday afternoon. And Roger, of course, is known for a lot of things in racing, but yeah. he's also a, a big uh, owner of many, many dealerships. And I actually caught him in his office after everyone had gone and he was at a fax machine. Remember what those were? He was reading faxes that were coming in from his Lexus dealership. And he was just kind of shaking his head and he was saying, I can't believe the gross profits on these Lexus automobiles. It's unbelievable. Now, keep in mind, these are vehicles that were selling somewhat at a discount, but Lexus had had gone to the the length of making sure that its dealers were going to be profitable Mm -hmm. and and make this sort of franchise be very valuable and treasured among the people who got the first opportunity. So they chose really well and they... uh, they, they set it up in such a fashion that it would be extremely profitable. And that really helped 
the the owners of these franchises say, well, now I can I can invest even more mm-hmm. into my dealership. I can I can put new design in there, new furniture, latte machines, more loaners, bigger parts inventory, all the things that cost money that translate to consumer satisfaction was really something on their radar. And they felt that because they were making these big profits in uh, Lexus automobiles, that uh, it was justified. And that becomes a virtuous circle that kind of feeds yeah. on itself and, and helps, the, helps the franchise. Yeah, because if the dealers are happy, then they're making the customers happy. And then the customers yeah. keep coming back again and again. More customers come back, you make bigger profits, you invest more. It just It's kind of a great virtuous circle when it works properly. And in Lexus's case, I think it worked properly because it, it was managed by very smart people. I, I got a chance to meet some of them. Some of the Lexus executives were, were very shrewd about this. They really did their homework and did a good job. So you just talked a little bit about changes that the dealerships were going through to get to that model. But I think we're seeing again in the auto industry changes happening again with rideshare coming in, um, mobility being a focus. What do you think the future holds for the auto industry? It's, it's, it's hard to know precisely. I, I believe that uh, autonomous driving is, is going to be here. I don't know whether it's going to take another couple of years or maybe five or 10 years or more, but autonomous driving is coming. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that in my bones. Uh, there's just I've seen too much in the R and D and experienced enough of what it can be in in the in the in the first prototypes and in the uh, in, in the research projects not to believe that it's going to be perfected and it's going to be able to create a vehicle that basically you'll be able to hail an autonomous vehicle to come and get you wherever you are with very on very short notice and then take you safely to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And this is going to revolutionize mobility, and it's going to it's going to change the way cities operate. I think it's going to change the way uh, new buildings are designed. I think it's going to change the way uh, some companies locate their workforces. It's going to change a lot of things, and it's I think those changes are going to be good for humanity in ways that probably not all of which we can really predict. So, just one more question before we sure. wrap up. Everyone's working on autonomous. We have our our programs and things like that. But if we're focusing on like what Lexus is doing today and what everyone is doing in the industry today, what do you think is important to do to be successful? Well, I, I, listen, I'm very flattered that anybody would ask me that question <laughs> because I really think that uh, I, I just have to say quite honestly, I've always been impressed with the quality of leadership and quality of, of, of staffing at Toyota and Lexus. And I'm sure they already know the answer to that long before they'll hear it from me. But I think it's it's one of the things that I've always been impressed with at um, Toyota is their open-mindedness. That is to say their... their um, willingness to listen and learn from customers, from associates, from from each other. And I think it's a hallmark of the organization and the culture of, of Toyota that always depends on sort of understanding the logic of your customer, whoever that is, whether mm-hmm. that customer is the end buyer of your car or somebody you buy parts from or a journalist seeking information. And I think if, if you really... Just never forget that everybody's a customer mm-hmm. and and that you can, should always explore and try to see things from their point of view. It's a, it's a good way, I think, 
just to be personally, not whether you're in business or not, but I think it's also a very effective strategy in business. All right, that's our show. For more on the history of Lexus, including infographics showing key milestones and a short video on the Lexus brand, check out the Lexus newsroom at pressroom.lexus.com. Thank you to our guests, Dave Illingworth, David Christ, and journalist Daron Levin. You can hear more from Daron Levin on his talk show, In the Driver's Seat, available on Sirius XM Radio. Follow him on Twitter at, at Daron P. Levin for links to more of his articles. This is Tyler. And this is Kelsey. Shout out to our show producers, Sharon Hong and Allison Powell. Music by Wes Meixner, who also works here at Toyota. Edited and mixed by Crate Media. Tune in next time for a super fascinating episode on how we keep you safe from counterfeit parts.